Welcome to Maranatha Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Femi Fenoyo. We have taken a short break from our Bible series in Genesis for this 14-part series on New Testament given. We will return back to our Bible series in Genesis after this current series. Thank you. Now we are in the New Testament and we looked at our Lord Jesus Christ as we were looking at this question of tithing under the New Testament. And the first question we asked ourselves was, what was our Lord Jesus Christ's attitude to the Old Testament? And we said his attitude is that he did not come to discard the law, but rather to carry it through to the end. That was his attitude. Obviously, we know that there are some law, there are some ceremonial law that were fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But there are so many other law, the civil law and the moral law of the Old Testament that still carry on into the New Testament, obviously modified by the operation of God in the New Testament. So that was the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ to the Old Testament. He has not come to discard the law, but to carry it through to the end. And then we look at the two incidents in the gospel books. We look at two incidents where the Lord Jesus himself actually mentioned the word tithe. Okay. And what we saw is that the mention of tithe in these two cases was really accidental, that the real issue in both cases was not about tithe, but about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the hypocrisy of the scribes. So really, that was what was going on at that point in time. Now, let's move on. The first question we're going to ask ourselves concerning New Testament is, is there a discernible system of giving in the New Testament? Is there a system of giving or was it free for all? Was it all about give what you want, when you want, how you want, where you want, just do what you want to do? Or when we read the New Testament, can we see a pattern? Can we see a system of giving in the New Testament? And then the second question is then that if we can find this pattern, if we can find the system of giving also in the New Testament, how does its principle compare to the system that we have seen in the Old Testament? So this will be our approach. Again, I need to underscore, again, I need to emphasize that if tithing, or if we can find the principle of tithing in the New Testament, it will inevitably be modified by the New Testament system of worship. And as such, its practice will be different in some ways from that of Mosaic law. So we need to understand that. Okay. Now, moving ahead, looking at principle of tithing in the New Testament. Now, when we look into New Testament document, there are some um, understanding. There are some facts, there are some foundational facts we need to establish. I'm not going to be opening into, um, into verses, chapter and verses here because it is all over the scripture. So when you read through the New Testament document, these are some foundational basic facts that we will see. That Number one, that the early church, they met weekly. That much we see when you read through the book of Acts and the letters that are written to the church. So we saw that the early church, they met weekly. Number two, it is clear from this document that the early church was a given church. 
the early church was a given church, okay? That much is very, very clear. Given was an essential part of the way they worship God in the New Testament. We saw them give to the church. They gave to the temple. They gave to the ministry. They gave to the operation of the kingdom of God, number one. Number two, they gave to ministers of the gospel. And when you read the letters of Paul, James, Peter, and going down the line over and over again, it is clear that the early church was a given church. They gave to the church. They gave to the ministry so that the work of the kingdom can be established. They gave to the ministers of the gospel. Number three, they gave to the poor. They gave to the widow. They gave to the orphan. They gave to the less privilege. And that is something, even a casual reading of the New Testament document will confirm this. You can see immediately how this mirror, what we said about the use of tithe in the Old Testament. So the early church met weekly and we saw that it was a giving church. They gave to the church, to the ministry, they gave to the ministers who were their own Levites, obviously. There was no ironic priesthood in the New Testament, but you understand what I'm saying. And also they gave to the poor, they gave to the widow, they gave to the orphan and to the less privileged. Now the questions are, how did early believer give? Now we know the reason why they gave. What we are asking is that, is there a system? Is there a designable system of giving in the early church? And when when we investigate that, if we find a system, how does it compare to what we have seen in our study so far? Now, when you read the New Testament document, particularly more helpful to us are the letters that are written to the churches. There are various passages in the epistles that speak of the church given. Now, the top two passages on given in the New Testament are in the epistles of Paul to the Corinthian churches. Now, those, those two, these two that I'm going to mention, these are the top two. Now, remember what I'm saying? There are so many various passages that talk about church given in the early church, but we are going to focus on these two passages. In fact, we are going to focus on one of them, and then we'll reference the other one. So two top passages on given in the New Testament, and we found both of them, in the book or in the epistle that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Now, the foundational one is actually find, found in 2 Corinthians, and it spanned over two chapters, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Obviously, that is a long one for us to read. So I'm going to focus on the second one, which we find in the book of the 1 Corinthians, the letter that Paul wrote, Paul wrote to the church, of Corinth, the first one. That's the first Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. So we are going to use 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2 as our template. And then I will reference various areas from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 as we go along. And remember why we are doing this. We are asking ourselves a question. Can we discern a pattern of given? Now, Understand what we are saying here. We know that people give free will offering, okay? And we have not been talking about free will offering here. Even in the Old Testament, we focus more on tithe. Even in the Old Testament, there were offerings outside the tithe. So we are not talking about offering. We are talking about can we find a designable system of giving in the 
New Testament in the early church? And if we can, how does that compare to what we have seen so far? So we are going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, given as always being a form of worship in the Bible. And the same apply even more in the New Testament. And we can establish that. Again, I'm not going to go into the detail. I'm going to ask you to read the Old of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, and you will see that one of the things that you will take out of that is that even in the New Testament, or more importantly in the New Testament, given is a form of worship. Given is a form of worship. And the, the way I think about it is like this. When you read 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, this is the thought you will come out with, that Christ has done so much for me, why would I not want to give him my best? So that, that's, that's the way. That's the way it, it's, it's the thought that you will come up with when you read not just the book of Corinthians, all those places where you read about giving. Right from the book of Acts, actually, when people begin to give, give. Even when you go back to the gospel, we've, we've touched some women that were, com- that were committed to supporting the ministry of Jesus with their substance. It's always this thought that the Lord Jesus, that God has done so much for me, that I am who I am because of his grace. I can do nothing. I have nothing but by his grace. Okay. You, we have not received anything except which heaven is given. And the fact that whatever God has given us, he has given us as his steward. So he owns everything, everything we are, everything we have, everything we own belongs to him. And more importantly, that He, the Lord Jesus Christ has done so much for us. I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son, and if God has done so much for me, why will I not want to give him my best? Why will I not want to give him my all? Given his worship, we don't give because somebody is, you know, controlling us or manipulating us. We don't give because somebody is intimidating us or there's a gun to our head. Yes, we are encouraged to give. Just like in the Old Testament, people were encouraged to give. And people were told that there is, you know, a reward to given. And if you don't give, you are robbing yourself. You are hindering yourself from the best of God. Okay, we, we give, we give. And there are rewards, but essentially and primarily, given is a form of worship. Given is a form of worship. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I'm reading from ISV, International Standard Version. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 from International Standard Version. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first of all your produce. So your bands will be filled with abundance and your vats will burst open with new wine. You can see the reward there. There's a reward. There's a reward if we give into the kingdom of God. There's a reward. Foundationally, though, we give because we want to honor God. We give as a form of worship. So we need to understand that, that just like we see in the Old Testament, that giving was primarily and fundamentally a form of worship, we see the same thing in the New Testament, that given is worship. Given is worship. So let's now read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 2. Remember, our one of the two foremost passage on given, the shorter one. <laughs> we are going to read the shorter one. You, you go and read the longer one. Maybe you've read it before. So let's read it again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. But 
we are reading 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And I will be reading from the Amplified Classic because it is classical. <laughs> it's amplified it for us. Now concerning the morning contributed for the relief of the saints, God's people, you are to do the same as I directed the churches in Galatia to do. On the first day of each week, let each one of you personally put aside something and save it up as he has prospered in proportion to what he is given so that no collections will need to be taken. Right. So that is our foundational scripture. And I will start looking into those verses, those two verses. Okay. So where we have read verse one, Paul asked the brethren at Corinth to do something he has also asked the Galatians to do. Okay. So this was not just something that Paul did in one church. This is something Paul was encouraging the churches to do. The Amplified Classic put it this way. You are to do the same as I directed the churches of Galatia to do. As I directed the churches, not just one church, the churches at Galatians to do not the word directed is very, very important. And many translators translated it that way. As I gave direction, as I told the Galatian churches to do. Actually, when you look at the original language, the word that Paul used in that verse is more authoritative than just directed or just, you know, told them. As ASV put it, ASV put it in a better way. ASV put it this way, as I gave order to the churches of Galatian, so also do ye. As I gave order. Now, that is very, very important. That's the force of the word that was used there in the original language. This instruction to the churches, Paul said it was a duty. It was not a suggestion. It was not an optional suggestion. It was a duty. It was an obligation. Now that's my word. He said, as I directed the churches of Galatians to do. And if you read the book of Romans towards the end of the chapter, Paul actually also used that same word, that same science when he was talking about, you know, the people that have been ministered to, given to their, to their, to their pastors or to their ministers. Here, he said, I order them. It is their duty. They constitute a pattern of fulfilling sacred duty. This is an obligation. And it is very, very important that we start with this because these oftentimes tend to be the first thing people argue about when they want to talk about tithing. Again, like I said, it started with anti-tithing rhetoric, but it has really degenerated into anti-giving rhetoric generally. Given under the New Testament, just like under the Old Testament, is an obligation and a duty to every believer. Now, we need to understand that. It is an obligation. But the thing is, though, what is an obligation? <laughs> okay? Because we can talk about some of this word and we don't follow it through. The dictionary definition of obligation, let me read it out to you. The dictionary defines obligation as an act or course of action to which a person is morally or legally bound, a duty or commitment, a debt of gratitude for a service or favor. Now, this is very, very important. 
It is our moral duty. It is our obligation. It's a debt of gratitude for a service or a favor. You remember what we talk about given being a worship. And it is in this sense that Paul was telling the people that, listen, I'm giving you this order to do this. Paul also expressed, like I said a moment ago, New Testament believers' obligation in given in Romans chapter 15, where he was writing about the contribution for the poor saint in Jerusalem. Okay, he was talking about that. And let us read that in Romans chapter 15. I'll read verses 26 and 27. Because the believer in Macedonia and Achaia have been eager to share their resources with the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were eager to do this. And in fact, they are obligated to help them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual blessing, they are obligated to be of service to them in material things. And this is very, very important for us to understand this. Okay. All right. King James uses the word debtor and duty. These verses that we read, that's, you know, King James said they are their debtors, they are their duty. Both word that is used where we've just read in this Romans chapter 15, verses 26 to 27, both word that is used in the original Greek means one held by some obligation, one bound by some duty, one who owes another a debtor. Okay? One who owes another a debtor. And that is what Paul was saying there. Both what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and what we read here in Romans chapter 15. Now, of course, of course, Paul is not forcing them. Now, this is the same. You see, oftentimes when we talk about the obligation of some people, we think people put their, they gun to their head. No, no. Look, how many people are actually shocking or not fulfilling their obligation as husband and wife or as parent? Isn't that widespread? But there's an obligation as a father, there's an obligation as a mother. There's an obligation you have to your children. As wife, there's an obligation you have to your husband. As husband, there are obligations I have to my wife. That doesn't mean that I will be forced to do it, but this is my legal responsibility. This is my moral responsibility. And that is what we are saying there. So Paul is not forcing them just like God did not force Israel under Mosaic law to give tithe because Paul will return right reference 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 8 verse 8, Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. I'm reading from ISV. I am not commanding you, I'm not forcing you, but testing the genuineness of your love by the enthusiasm of others. I'm not forcing you, but this is your obligation. This is your moral legal duty. And we see that same principle of obligation through love in Galatians chapter 5. Let's read that and then we will close for today. We see that same principle here. Galatians chapter 5, I'm reading verses 13 to and 14. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For you brothers were called to freedom. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to gratify your flesh. But through love, make it your habit to serve one another. You see that? We are free. He said, but listen, don't use that freedom as an opportunity to gratify the flesh, but through love, make it your habit to serve one 
another. One translation says, through love becomes servant. This is the concept of bond servant in the Old Testament. A servant that could go free, but willingly submit himself to be a servant. Verse 14, for the whole law is summarized in a single statement. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You must love your neighbor as yourself. You know, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. He said, the love of God constrains us. Okay, yes, we are free. But actually, we also have an obligation through love. And Paul was writing to the Galatians here. He said, but true love, make it your habit to serve one another. Make it an obligation. Make it a pattern of, of behavior. This is not just a one-off. Make it your habit to serve one another. So that is the first thing that we see here as we read this. So the first thing we see here is that even like we see under the Old Testament, let me bring up the, the diagram that we, we are looking at this enduring characteristic. So the first thing we've seen in this First Corinthians chapter 16 is that it actually fulfilled the first part of the characteristic that we see, the end, one of the enduring characteristics that we see about tithe. So given under the New Testament fulfilled the first of the enduring characteristic and principle of tithing, that of obligatory worship, that of obligatory worship. And that is what we have seen here. So we are going to stop here because the time is far gone. Okay, we are looking at principles of given in the New Testament. And we're going to come back to look at whether we can see other characteristics of given in these two verses. Remember, we are looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, but also we are referencing it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And if you are listening to me tonight, I want you to know that there is no other name that has been given to men whereby we might be saved. This world will come to an end. Everybody will die or those that are alive will be changed when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. But the most important thing is that where are you going to spend eternity? Because death is not the end. There's something in you and I that will live for eternity. And look around you. All of us have been poisoned. We have been tainted. We have been damaged spiritually. But God has come to help us. We are all in prison. We are all in slavery market. But God has come to redeem us. And that salvation, that redemption is be made available through the death, the resurrection, through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And through that cross, salvation has been made available to you. All you and I need to do is to accept that we are sinners, come to the cross, ask Jesus to save us, and he will by the Spirit and by his word. And then we'll become sons and daughters of God, and we'll begin to walk with him and he will walk with us and when this is all over whether in by death or by him coming back again you and i can then be able to spend eternity with him in the new heaven and new earth we sincerely invite you to check out our teachings on youtube maranatha teaching channel they will bless you thank you